Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In this season, we're exploring relational spirituality. It's rooted in the drawing near and withdrawing of God and God's relational presence. We're presenting this as an alternative to devotional, formative, and introspective spiritualities. In this episode, we explore the remarkable difference between the silence and absence of God in the spirituality of the believer and the spirituality of the mystic-to-be. This is a very important discussion for anyone wanting to gain a sense of God's drawing nearer and withdrawing, and it's especially important for anyone wrestling with a relational disconnect with God. Please don't forget to leave us a rating on your favorite listening platform and to subscribe as a follower. Feel free to leave comments and inputs. And if you are so motivated, consider supporting the work of the Urban Mystic. There's a link to PayPal in the show notes, and you can use your Android or Apple phone to scan the QR code and make a contribution to us. Yeah, so Tim, man, it's just really great to be chatting with you again. And uh, we've just done about 30 minutes of uh, catching up pre-starting this recording here and just chatting a little bit, uh, catching up with each other. It's been a good week since we've had a had a nice chat and uh, catching up a little bit about where we're at in season five. And I'm really excited for some of the uh, some of the conversation that we're getting into tonight. And so I thought what might be helpful, uh, hopefully for us and, and also for our listeners, is just to sketch out a bit of a rough traje- trajectory in terms of our conversation this evening. Some of it is is a step forward in, in terms of kind of moving on to our next uh, point along the path from our last two uh, episodes. And so we're going to introduce something new tonight and then try and just tease that out and nuance it a little and dwell a little around the particularities of that before moving on to, to another question, perhaps tonight or perhaps in a subsequent conversation that will just flow together in episodes. We'll see kind of as it comes out, I guess. So the rough trajectory that, that you've put on the table for us to chat tonight about is this idea of of in in much of, of our current Christian spirituality, to sort of the practice, seems to emphasize this idea that the silence of God, not hearing from God, pushing into moments of peace and kind of inner stillness and inner connection, and, and there's not just a silence but an absence of God idea is is kind of a peak relation, is kind of a peak point in the spirituality and we wanted to talk a little bit about that as um sort of juxtaposed next to what would a relational spirituality look like where we talk about presence and absence and uh, just talk a little bit about the yeah just the differences there and, and how we see it and what we might be suggesting or other alternatives um and then to dwell as i said in that in the practical of what might that look like and how can we really bring color to to, to this idea and what we're talking about here and then hopefully to move on from that into some of the specifics, so, so sort of leaving that comparison sort of framework and moving just into the specifics of one side of that framework around like, what do we mean when we talk about the absence and the silence of God? Because that is a part of, of, uh, of a relational spirituality, a coming and going of God's presence, God kind of being active and there and available and sometimes not. And so... I'm going to kind of hit that back to you and hope I've given enough of a trajectory that we're going to sort of bounce across three sort of points from now into, you know, this episode and perhaps a couple of coming ones. And uh, <laughs> hopefully I've aimed us in the right direction and you're not face palming there across in South Africa and wondering why you asked me to, uh, <laughs> to kick us off. 
but is is that is is that a kind of a fair enough rough trajectory in terms of where we're going? Um, and if yes, do you want to launch into some of the specifics around, you know, what you've been talking about this comparison between between spirituality of silence and absence and nothingness and a, and a relational spirituality of presence and understanding presence, even if it may integrate absence and silence, etc. So. Thank you for that. I think it's always hard to do intros, right? I don't know if that's ever going to get easier for us. And it's really, <laughs> it's really hard to give an overview when we've got a rough overview, but the conversation flows. So <laughs> I haven't done the exercise of checking to see how well we match our, uh, our rough directions, but <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting tonight for some reason, I'm feeling that and just wondering, Ooh, you know, are, are we going to stay on point? <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's, let's find out. But, um, but, but I do think so. Yes. I think, you know, I, I've been, I've been wrestling with this and using it about it for a while. So this isn't the box where I, I want to really formally contrast or in detail contrast our present models of spirituality and what we're using and then dig into why I don't feel like they're actually relational spiritualities. I think that's that's to come at a at a at a later at a at a later date. This is still part of the groundwork to get there. And I think it's it's important to stay that to it's important to say that so that so we we, we gain an idea that we're not trying to build a system that is trying to that says it's going to achieve something that these other systems say that they're achieving and none of the systems achieve it if that if that mm. makes sense because we end up with a dominant framework we end up with these key ideas these paradigms these um in this case uh, a relational paradigm to, to guide us and the question is like are we really fulfilling that with our spirituality and when we summarize it in retrospect we come up with these these key statements well this is what spirituality is about here's what we're trying to achieve and i think in that there's a there's a lot to dig into into the details so we we'll, we'll get to that i think for now though we've been tossing around a contrast between a spirituality of mystery the last few weeks and a spirituality mm. of relationship and and basically saying that there is a difference between them we've taken a look at relational dynamics and how they play out you know the the relational dynamics of a of a relationship that i have with myself a relationship i have with others as in other people a relationship mm. i have within others as in ideas and objects and institutions and that kind of thing which is different and 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 then the idea of a relationship with with god but but with that we nuance the idea of going it's not as easy as just going i relate to god because i can be relating to the idea of god and not to the god who draws near in person i can be mm. relating to to an in a go between between me and god and i can be thinking of that as my relationship with god and it's not necessarily a direct relationship with God. And so what we're really putting on the table and chewing through is the idea that that God wants a more immediate relationship with us. And and mm. I, and I slash we want a more immediate relationship with God. And that this is more akin to two people who are attracted to each other going, I want a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. And and that's the box that we're putting it in and, and exploring. So 
we're taking the idea of God out of the out of the absence of how do I love God? Well, I love myself. How do I love God? Well, I love others, especially the poor and the dejected and broken. How do I love mm. God? Well, I love doing church. That's not the same in my books because it's a it's a go between, and for God to really to draw near in person, to be known in person, is for a one to one relationship between us, or the me. And God, it's a one-to-one -one relationship, and I don't think we've got a mature, defined spirituality to get there. And so, really, the challenge is is that we we idealize silence to such a degree that, and yeah, I think you've you've put it really well in the conversation before that the idea of God's silence is held as being the ultimate expression of of intimacy, and it is likened to. Mm knowing someone so well that you can be silent in their presence and just know them and feel them and be with them, be that level of attunement with them. But I think that we put that in as, as the ideal, but we've got a silence that is not that. And we're talking about the silence that we do have as though it is that, and it's not necessarily. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's too too abstract, but... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, if, if if you could perhaps take a pause, if you're ready there, and just take a step back in terms of this silence that you're talking about that we have with God as this as this pinnacle, and and take a run at that. What do you mean by that? What are we what are we putting out as this pinnacle of our spirituality and silence with God? The the pinnacle is put forward as though. We don't really hear God. We arrive at an inner stillness with ourself. We arrive at a state of inner peace, a state of integration, personality, and overcoming of brokenness, the ability to be present to ourselves and others, to see them without being triggered. And we go, ah, silence, inner silence, stillness, peace. I am in the presence equals of God. God. Equals God. And then we go, when I withdraw on my own, and I'm quiet, and all is quiet, and I'm at peace, I'm in the presence of God, and, and therefore I'm at peace, and I have a healthy self-image, and I arrive at a place of security, and when I withdraw to, to that silence, my head isn't filled with the noise of what I'm stressed about. It's not filled with the, the noise of unresolved things from the past. It's not filled with the, the noise of the anxiety about the future. It's just a, a peace, a knowing, a belonging, a comfort within myself. And we look at that and we, we often go, yeah, that's the key. You know, this peace that passes all understanding. And we quote those quotes and we go, yeah, this is, this is the presence of God. It's actually about the silence. And I think, I think fundamentally there's a difference between how God's silence and absence is used by the believer who comes out of the mystery box of a doing church paradigm that is for two, nearly two millennia, just over one and a half millennia, is about church where there's, a, there's very low examples and experiences that are ever put on the table of the immediacy of God. In general, it's a, I'm born as a Christian, I'm a believer, I have faith, I don't have experience. So on one hand, I'm taking the believer and I'm saying, what is their relationship to silence and absence? Then on the other hand, I'm going, hmm, let's take a look at key spiritual figures. You know, the ones whose results we take and we use to bolster our own, <laughs> you know, going back to that aggregate image from, from, from last mm. week. When we take a look at what's going on with them, what's happening and how do they use silence and absence? And you know what? Although both people are talking about silence and absence, 
they're not talking about the same silence and absence. They're not talking about silence and absence being used in the same way. And they're, they're, they're not arriving at silence and absence. The one group is arriving at silence and absence as though that is the point of spirituality. The other group is, is, is basically further drawn in desire to meet with a God that becomes present. So that's different. So, mm. so language I've used in the past is, is the believer versus the mystic to be. And by mystic to be, I really just mean the language of the Christian mystics and apostles and, and, and prophets drawing on, on that stream of, of people mm. who are known to relate to God and known for a strong relational unity with God in their, in, their, in their personal and their private life that carries over into their relational life in public. So I'm contrasting mm. those two in my mind. When I think of the believer and their relationship to, silent, to God's silence and God's absence, I think of it as the whole of the relationship. So I have an idea of God. I'm reading my spirituality. I'm practicing my spiritual disciplines. I'm going to church. I'm having my quiet time and I'm reading the Bible and I'm sitting there and I'm reflecting on my life. And then I go, hmm, I want to hear the voice of God. And I met with silence and absence. Suddenly I'm back to that paradigm of mystery. Hmm. A mystery is hmm. to be puzzled over and contemplated on. So here again, I'm not... I, I'm I'm reaching for and I'm filling in the conversation of going, I've had this experience as a reflector upon it, yes, I'm supposed to change. Oh, God has spoken to me about changing my life. Or it emerges over time. You know, so so there the goal is the silence. The goal is is the absence. I'm not experiencing God to show up in a burning bush experience or a on a Mount Tabor experience or, or any of that kind of stuff. Mm. I'm expecting to be met with silence and I'm expecting to come away with that with reflective wisdom. You know, so it's the equivalent of of saying God plays the uh, the, the Freudian counselor, <laughs> going, mm, mm, "How did that make you feel?" Mm, mm. I'm not going to give you input. I'm I'm just here to draw you out. And so, in the silence yeah. and absence of the believer, that's what you're doing. You're you're engaging the text, you're engaging your tradition, you're engaging your idea of God, you're engaging your life, and in none of that is this the sense that God has stepped forward. In person in all of them there's a sense of i'm resting with the mystery and i'm met with silence there's no voice that speaks to me there's no presence that that meets with me why because i've got access to to i've got access to that through these other ways so that's different now if i contrast that with the mystic to be generally it's a it's an individual who has had an experience of god speaking to them and god drawing near in person that's the starting point so what they have is they have a sense of going, I have heard the voice of God. I have felt the presence of God. I've, I've, well, I've been in the presence of God. I felt the touch of God. And then they go to a place of stillness and quiet. But that's a locutional space. It's not a space in which them arriving at that space of silence and absence. They get all the benefits and bonuses. They, they, they get everything from the box of the believer. So, so there's mm. not a contrast against that as though they're, they're, they're antithetical or they're at odds mm, with mm, each other or anything mm. like that. It's going, I've got this, but I'm not satisfied by this. And why am I not satisfied by this? Because, because I've heard the voice of God. I felt the presence. I felt God touch and I've been in the company of God. And I know what that's like. So now when they go to that silence and absence, 
they're drawn back to that silence and absence as a place of waiting on God to become present. And the reason why they've done that often is because they realize that the God that they'd heard speaking to them has fallen silent, and now they're longing for the voice of God. And that's not the text that God has left us. It's not the tradition that God has left us. It's not the silence that they left with. They're returning to the silence so that that silence can be filled with presence, touch, voice, any of those, because because that's what they're drawn to. So now, now they're gone, oh, God has been silent enough for me to miss God's voice and to return to it and to seek it and to wait for it. And where do I do that? I was drawn to solitude and silence for that. And then it's the same thing with the other things. So so functionally what happens is for the believer, silence and 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 mis- and absence and mystery becomes the totality of, of their spirituality. But for the mystic and the mystic to be, silence and the absence and the mystery is the place that they push into so that they can experience God stepping forth into their presence, perhaps speaking, perhaps abiding, perhaps touching, perhaps acting, but stepping forth in person for a face-to-face meeting. So for them, it's different. Silence and absence becomes the trough in relation, the trough, the empty trough of desire where they're waiting to be satiated by the presence of God. They're not fulfilled by the silence and absence. And so when I juxtapose those two and I wrestle through them, that's that's what I end up with in this in, in this box. And I think it's very important to put on the table because um, we will still go into detail later on, but I feel like the, the dominant spiritualities that we have is doing church and then the two other key formational spiritualities. Formational spirituality rests on silence and absence, but it's not about presence. So they're spiritualities of mystery because they're spiritualities where I go to not meet the God who has broken the veil of mystery to go, here I am. It's, it's, I go to the silence and absence to face the mystery of questioning where is God and what is God possibly saying and doing in my life? What does this possibly mean? What answers am I possibly getting to? How do I read scripture and wrestle through this to arrive at that? But I'm arriving at that. And then I'm going, because I've arrived at that, God has spoken to me. Because I've arrived at, at wisdom, God has spoken to me. Because I've arrived at character and love for others, therefore God has transformed me. That's not the mm. same thing as, 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 meeting, as meeting with God. Whereas in the mm. other box, there's often that sense of, of, of the individual who's, who's had a dream, or they've had a vision, or they've had a, a, like an experience, like a power, a prophetic encounter. And that's given the sense of this God that I believe in is also very real, very tangible, very present. This God speaks and acts. My God, this God loves me. This God touches me. This God moves me. And then going, hang on, I'm longing for this. I'm longing for that again. I, there's a desire. There's a spark of desire that's been awoken in me, and that's different. So before I ramble on too long, I feel like I should stop there. No, that's good. That's that's really helpful in t- on a couple of levels in terms of clarity. So the first one that I hear is that although to a certain extent there is some comparison, it's not a competi- it's not a competitive comparison in terms of necessarily the one wins and the other loses. So that's a helpful clarification. The second thought that immediately springs to mind is we've used the language of of train journey before, journey before, and there being a couple of stations or way markers along the way. And silence is one of those, but it's not the culmination of the journey. And that's, you know, if I put that language to it, it's what I hear you saying. I, I, like, that, I like the way you, you put that there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and I think we've explored that a little bit, I think, 
<laughs> in uh, recordings we haven't yes we haven't published yet so this is potentially new language for 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 our listeners and so the idea is that oh how can i best and most easily summarize it i'll try in two different ways because the first is sort of very church orientated which i think is is quite clear for people who've been in a very church orientated space and the other, I'll try and come back to the exact train thing, because I think this is where I first come to it, is especially in a more contemporary church setting, although I think you, you find it in the, in, the more, in the more traditional church settings as well in a different way through the liturgical flow. But so because I was always, a, I have been a part of music in churches for a long, long time. I'm a big part of this flow and I understand this flow and it was kind of schooled into me very early on. And it was one of the things that I've had to kind of look very closely at and, and sort of uh, reject parts of deconstruct and, you know, rethink. But there's this idea of kind of fr from the moment that you drive into the parking lot. So we're talking, when we talk church, we're talking about a geographical space. You drive into a parking lot. There's a sense of journey that begins. And I think the churches who do the church thing really well pay a good amount of t attention to this because they're able to lead people on this journey. From the moment you drive in, there's already some pointers, some, some way markers that you pass that point you towards the culmination of the journey. And so parking is a pleasant thing. They have greeters out. They have good signage. They have great gardens. They have a lovely sort of uh, entrance into foyer kind of area. It's this funnel idea. I mean, it's, it's kind of, marketing and business 101 like making a sale you, you pour people in the top of the funnel and you need to move them to the bottle when they buy the product and so then there's usually there's some sort of coffee or some sort of like greeting thing going on there's a bit of a buzz there's people moving around there's you know some of the some churches will play some upbeat music there's all this kind of stuff that keeps moving you on this journey and you hit these way markers as you go in and then a service starts, you know, the actual kind of beginning of the, the church service itself. And, and even that is often in the best churches is well-crafted, you know, they'll do some sort of message, some sort of announcements, but none of it is meant to detract from you moving on this journey further and further. And then you move from that into a place of prayer or a place of somebody would read something from a scripture or something. And then you hit the music component of the service. And this is a huge way marker that pushes you forward and, and different churches do different things with that, but there may be some space for prayer in that, some silence, some reflection, some response time, some whatever it is. But the culmination of the service is when a pastor or a preacher or whatever stands up to speak. And that is where you're aiming for. And so this language of moving on this journey is if you've been in a church like that and at the traditional church is, is similar, although they just really, they often suck a lot <laughs> at the slick kind of marketing thing of greeters and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the liturgy is, is crafted around that. It's a very carefully crafted journey towards, for some, the message and for some, the communion element, you know, the, 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 the Last Supper kind of reenactment moment. And all of that is meant to be the culmination of this journey that you move along. And you know when you've reached it, because from there, everything flows backwards out of that. So that's the climbing the mountain. You get to the top of the mountain, and that's the meeting point 
the sermon or the communion or whatever, and you retreat from that. And many churches will use that language of, you know, we're a we're a uh, we're a half time for our people. We're a stopping point. We're a refueling station, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they use this language of this destination that you reach, and then you go back out into the world, kind of picture. And it's similar, I think, in this language that we've been talking about in this un sort of unpublished work so far that hopefully we'll see the light of day at some point soon. Um, of just going on a train journey and you hit stations along the way and that this spirituality, what, what it puts forward is that the last station, the top of the mountain, the, the peak, is that as long as you hit silence, you're guaranteed that you have kind of met with God. And I think it's same, like as long as you hit that preach or as long as you hit that communion or whatever, that's the pinnacle you've met with God. And, and although that's more of a corporate setting, although, you know, arguably there's a lot of individualism in the more contemporary sort of evangelical church setting, the spirituality is kind of the, the individual thing of like, you know, as long as you hit silence, as long as you withdraw, as long as you come to quiet, as long as you empty your mind, still you're breathing, there's all those sorts of things on the practical level that I hear you, you know, some saying and some alluding to, as long as you get to that point, and some of the spiritualities, I think, also take it a step further and go, you know, you can do that in the middle of your day, in the middle of the office, in the middle of a fight with a spouse and whatever, you know, you, you're just, if you hit that space of silence, reflection, quiet, peace, stillness, etc., that's where God is kind of, you know, in inverted, uh, in, in parentheses, you know, guaranteed. <laughs> you can do that, you can control that. But as you say, it's not a locutive uh, space. It's it's not interactive. It's not relational necessarily, because it's all based on the individual and their ability to to calm down. And you know, I, at, at that point, I think you should just go and take uh, breathing lessons from Wim Hof, the Ice Man. Um, like, because you know, it's 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 that internalized. There's nothing wrong. Again, like as you say, it's not a comparison thing of like right and wrong and good and bad. Like that guy's very good at what he does. And, you know, some of these churches are very good and, and the spirituality is very good at the stillness, etc. But the language of the destination of the train tracks is that perhaps there's another station. And as you say, that the point of stillness is that, you know, God can speak. And it's not that God would only speak, obviously, into stillness, but there is a journey towards a space of meeting, of waiting, etc. And that's a lot of what I hear you saying. Does that... Does that kind of resonate back with what I've heard you putting forward? Yes, very much so. And and in fact, the one thing I, I feel that what you're saying there highlights is that the silence, the silence that is reached, is actually one's own inner silence. Yeah, it's it's very hard based on that. The, the minute we've got a framework for intra-relational experience and inter-relational experience, we 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 get we get language for saying my own inner silence differs to relational silence in an interrelational mm. engagement and so with spirituality where i withdraw to silence and solitude the space of silence that i'm actually reaching is that is my own inner silence for me to project that and mm. say that's the same thing as the relational silence with god is a is a, is a category error it's a mistake <laughs> you know it's it's basically a um a reduction that goes back, I feel, to some complex thinking in the, in the earliest 20th century around spirituality, where the mm -hmm. essentialists have put forward the idea 
that um, the common denominator is the silence and this inner silence. So the, the notion of God, the notion of God speaking is actually not essential because what's essential, whether you, you don't believe there's a God or you do believe that there's a God, is that you arrive at this place of inner peace and silence and that characterizes you and how you go about your living and loving. And I feel like that that's, that's been in the field long enough as a, as a body of thinking for that to become established. And I feel like in some ways, if you practice the secularized mindfulness and you ended up in the same space, or as a Christian, you practiced your own practices and you got there. If you if you practiced with someone else that did that, you you would get to see that you've got a you've got a Christian as opposed to a secular themed as opposed to another themed version of your own inner silence. Really, it's not actually the silence of God that you're arriving at. It's your own inner silence and peace and your own inner security in relation to yourself and your value, mm. which transcends this very sucky Western materialist um, achievement and and acquisition and affluence driven society you mm. know so 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 if i arrive at peace there i'm not necessarily as i say you know and as you say arriving at the at the destination of silence in the presence of god i'm just arriving at my own inner silence in the face of everything and life i mean sure it can be god but that's only in an abstract sense it's not god in this interrelation and um I mean, this may be jumping the gun a little bit, but we're not saying that's bad. No, no, not at all. It's good. From a relational perspective, but it's important to understand what it is and what it isn't. And so if you and I are in a point of conflict and within that conflict, I'm able to really just anchor down within myself, I'm able to center within myself. I'm able to reach a point of calm, of peace, but it's a very active peace because I think peace also sometimes a little bit misunderstood is just this kind of like blob passivity sit in a corner thing. I, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's a very active being, it's like a Maybe not a hyper awareness, but it's a very deep awareness of who you are, where you are, what's going on, what's happening. If I can be intra, if I can be intentionally and very deeply intraconnected within myself in that moment in terms of what's going on, then I potentially bring a very good version of myself to that conflict, right? But that doesn't necessarily solve the conflict because that would require some sort of inter-dialogue, hopefully between my best version of me and your best version of you. And both of those would rely on individual intra-processes. And so it's not that those are bad so much as they're a very helpful prerequisite and sort of concurrent process that can support the inter, but they don't replace it. So, so I had an experience of this the other day. I, I've got a, I've got a friend that I'm close to, and we've got an amazing ability to hold space for each other and really hear each other. But we've also got capacity to mishear each other and trigger each other. Mm. So we had this, we had, the, we had a massive argument. <laughs> <laughs> and basically it took both of us 
dialing into our own inner space, our own interception, our own recognition of how we're triggering off the other person we're responding and to dial that back mm. for both of us. And we were able to get there um, because we mm. both we both practice this and we both we both choose 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 this. And I think that's an example of of, of for me, it was an example of how two people can mishear each other. Both are spiraling, mm. both are triggered, both are really upset. You start speaking, you start behaving differently, you get more aggressive, you stop listening to the other person, you start casting blame. Mm. And we both took a step back to go, pause, focus on where each of us is being triggered, and then transition beyond that to hear the other person deeply and take ourselves out the picture so that we're not triggered by what they're saying in terms of the experience of how they got there and then taking turns with each other. Now, now that was a very intentional space, but it was, and it was a very good thing. And it really helped us push into an inner stillness for ourselves, create an a, a interrelational stillness between each other, peace, reestablish the connection, very human to human, you know, like really humanize the situation. We really, we really process stuff. I mean, we, you know, mm. like, like that kind of stuff really advances a relationship and builds a foundation to it. It ends up being really good. Mm. It's mm. important to be able to fight and resolve. But it's very important to be heard deeply, not just to have things smoothed over, smoothed over. And so we were both able to do that and hold that for, for each other. And that ended up being really good. So for me, that's an example of how a practice of mindfulness, an interceptive practice, interreceptive awareness and cultivating that enables one in their own inner space to go, hang on, the person's not fighting with me. I'm fighting with me and I'm fighting with them over how I'm triggered. That's not the same thing. Mm. Okay, let's unbundle from that. And I think that's a good example of how this wisdom stuff and this practice of, contempl of contemplation or practice of consistent reflection does enable you to grow and it's got to spill over into your relationships. And in that sense, mm. I 100% agree that it is, it is really good. It's really good because it enables you to be present in the midst of conflict as opposed to not present. It enables mm. you to be be present as you can be even more present to people that have got no capacity to trigger you because of social distance or you know um depending on what state that they're in if they're really broken you, you mm. know it's not the same kind of interrelational dynamic because there's a power dynamic involved there and it's much easier to be at peace in a power dynamic when you're strong mm. and in charge right this mm. <laughs> just i mean i can we, we can all be <laughs> honest about that right um yeah whereas when it's mutual and the per person is close to you and they trigger you, it's not as easy to do that. And I think that's an example of how one's inner silence and the practice of this kind of stuff helps. So one could go, oh, look, mm. we can put that in the God box. Look, God helped resolve that. Or, you know, um, peace was involved with, with each of us, that kind of thing. But it actually ends up not being because the interrelational dynamics is, in that case, was between me and myself, um, that person and themselves, and then us to each other. Mm. there wasn't a relationship with, with God or an input from God or an encounter with God or anything like that in that situation. But it is often easy to go, ah, oh, this flows out of, you know, like what is God really? What does God really mean? Well, God isn't someone you see. God isn't an activity or someone that shows up or anything like that. God is basically that which transforms me and my living and my meaning making, my relating to other people. And, and I think there, that's where I start going, no, again, we're not saying the same thing. Um, that might have been a complete ramble, but I felt like it followed on. Well, I mean, it does introduce something there, which which 
perhaps we can just sort of tie up and then come back to to sort of where we started because there's almost two points there you know when people talk about that because there's a there's both a an a, there's an agreement that it doesn't happen in the moment but there's also a disagreement because there's there's language of moment happening there so people will talk about that as if you know in it's it it runs completely sort of in line with the spirituality which is you know, there's some growth and some development that God does within me that makes me this kind of person so that in that moment, look, I, you know, I'm skilled enough to be able to then do this. And I think that's what people claim often in, in terms of, you know, it's, it's almost sort of mentoring pre the conflict. And then in the conflict, there is an understanding of, well, it's just, you know, Stephen Tim and, you know, they've, God has built into them through character formation and reflection, et cetera, the skill set to be able to do that. And so there are those two people active there. But kind of in disagreement to that, there's also the language of in the moment. You see, God did something there. That's, that's presence. That's agency language. That's not God. It's a bit of a strangled path, basically, back to, well, God was doing something earlier on in some sort of quiet time moment that then allowed this to flow out. The language is as if God is there, which is interesting because it's both speaking about God being active and present and acting, but God isn't. It's, it's like if I picture the scene, it's almost as if what we're talking about is Stephen Tim in a room and they're arguing and God is like just a little old lady, just kind of wandering around in the background, tidying things up, raising an eyebrow here and there, you know, and somehow that has an influence on the interaction between these two people. And I don't think that's, that's not what we would be talking about from a relational spirituality. It would be the simplest example I can think of is God sitting down as mediator between Steve and Tim and going, okay, that, I'm going to intervene here and say, Steve, you need to be quiet and listen to what Tim is actually saying. That's, I think, more the language of a relational spirituality in terms of God being present in an interaction, et cetera, et cetera. I think if, if, if I'm right in what I hear you saying. Yes, absolutely. I. Yeah. But if, if we come back to what, what we're talking about there, the, the difference is in terms of, you know, the... Uh, the formation, formative sort of type stuff. Yes, the silence is kind of intro, et cetera, although it helps the individual. If you and I are in a space of conflict and my way of dealing with that relationally with you is just to go like all Zen and peaceful and quiet, and I'll just let you buff up against me like a rock in a storm and you can beat your waves against me and I'll just sit quietly and not say anything and not react. And when you've run out of energy, you wander off and I get up and walk off. If I claim that as a relational win, I'm deluded. Oh, absolutely. 100%. There's no, there's no better way to irk someone than to basically <laughs> cold shoulder them and shut them out while you tune out. <laughs> well, yes, but that, that's, another, that's another element to it. I'm talking just specifically at the, in the first instance, just me as the person doing that, walking away, going, See, I, I resolved that argument perfectly. I just went to peace, complete silence. And it doesn't matter whether the other person is there or not, speaking or not, active or not. The point is just that I sent her down and that's all it is. 
and then I leave. I cannot go away claiming that. And then secondly to that, as you so rightly say, the other person is going to be livid. Like, if you don't stab me before I get up and walk off, it'll be a miracle. <laughs> because it's, it's and that's anti-relational. So it's using the skills and the tool set, the, the tool set and skills, the tools and skill set, damn it, <laughs> of centering down within oneself and coming to a point of kind of anchoring and centering as a relational tool, but it's but that's that's an intra process. The inter process is then to say, okay, you know, Tim, you gave me a minute. I've relaxed enough. I've calmed down enough. Tell me again, what is it that's angering you so much? Or how have I hurt you? Or how have I upset you? Or let you down? Or whatever it might be, and and let's have that conversation because that is the vehicle to relational resolution. Mm to reconnection, to a future relationship, etc. And so I just want us to be very clear in terms of that's part of how I understand the withdrawing into silence, what it can do for us and what it can't do for us. And that for me is very clear in terms of there's a huge amount of benefit and, and I use it often myself as often as I can. It's very beneficial, but it is not an interrelational process unless there are two persons. I think also the, the other thing that yeah. can happen, and, and I've, I've yeah. often experienced that in conflict situations with people, and I'm going to talk about myself as though I'm good at this, so I'm going to caveat this way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had it where I'm in a situation in the past where I'm missing something, the other person's missing something. So I set aside the fact that I'm being missed, that I want to be heard. And I feel like I'm rising above it to be in the situation where I arrive at my own inner peace to be able to hold them, see them for the process that they're going through, and then I'm not going to be triggered. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to practice the deep listening and help them resolve stuff. We arrive at them being in a place mm -hmm. of peace, and I go, that's a win. I've come to realize over the years that I've mm -hmm. done that in my intimate relationships. But what I've not done is then stepped up to go, I need to be heard. <laughs> I need you to hold the space for me too. Mm. I need you to hold my process. And I, I, I'm not good at that. So, so, so what mm. happens as well often is, is we tend to have one person that starts doing that. And the other person can easily feel that there's an interrelational win because they've been heard. Mm. It, it, it's important in an interrelational situation for the other person to also be in the position of going, I want to be heard. And that mm. doesn't take away from, from me having heard you in your story. It, it just means that you need to hold the space for me to be heard in telling my story. And, and that's a different kind of growth. It, that's, it's very important for that to happen. And I think in spirituality as well is, is what we end up with is we end up with the whole thing of going, Steve, Tim, you're not valuable as people. Lay aside your need to be heard. Make sure mm. that the other person is heard. Mm. There's only so long someone can practice that before it starts eroding their sense of value and their sense of personhood. Mm. And I think that a lot of people that are quote-unquote spiritual end up being that box. It's not a mutually reciprocal box where they too are vulnerable and present to other people who are enabling them to be such 
because they get shut down for that. So, so again, there in, in, in that in that scenario, the minute we get into this, it's actually not as simple as just going, let's arrive at it and, and in a peace and silence, because there's mm-hmm. relational implications, not just in how I approach it when I when I relate to the idea of God as the believer. Um, it's also as to how I I approach it in my relation to other people that I'm I'm seeking to arrive at the state in. You know, because often it's a state that one is, um, it's 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 a very challenging state to be in. If one minimizes one's own needs, one's own desires, one's own will, and I think that what we actually have when we have got spirituality and we look at that, all of our own will, our own desires, put in the sin box, and it must be eradicated and suppressed. So we've got a spirituality of silence and absence that reinforces this and basically eradicates the person's own sense of selfhood and, 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 and their own value and their own agency. Mm. And it actually ends up being quite dysfunctional and abusive towards them, even though they become their primary abuser in becoming spiritual. And, and so I, I just want to clarify something here. So I hear you talking about the human-to-human element, but then I think you're also talking about the human-to-divine, where you talk about the sin box. Are you saying that people will interact in some way, qualify this later, relationally with God as well from the self-abdignation? It's not about me, it's about you, God. So I'll relate to you from the position of it's only about what you want, et cetera, et cetera. Are you, are you going that far as well? I'm, I'm going that far as well. And what would you say about the reverse as well? Would you see that as well in terms of, in my relating to God, then, and I, and I imagine this probably plays out at a very sort of, yeah, maybe more subconscious level, that um, it just seems like a natural follow-on for me. It's, people are experiencing relationship human to human where they are suppressing needs and allowing other people's needs to show up but then potentially in a spirituality showing up with God where it's silence and they show up in terms of their own centering, et cetera, et cetera. Does that sound like the reverse of that where they show up with God and only their voice counts, only their needs, and there's no space for God to speak? I think it's quite interesting because that's often the case. I think if we, if we consider as noise and as what's vocal, it's often often we're making space to talk to or at God, but we're not speaking, mm. making space to hear. Then we grow beyond that, or what's put on the table is we grow beyond that to you need to get to the silence bit. But in the silence, we're not necessarily making space to hear God. It's in the silence that clarity about who we are and what really motivates us emerges. Mm. So I feel like there's a healthy progression there in terms of spirituality, in the sense of instead of denying my emotions and my needs and my reactions, I gain an understanding of what's driving them. In gaining an understanding of what's driving them, I become free of them and I become free fulfill, to fulfill them in a healthy way, right? So there's, there's growth there and there's, there's health there. But in neither of those cases are we working with the relational presence of God. We're working with my intra-relational presence to myself or my intra-relational presence to my idea of what God would prefer me to think like to be a holy person and behave like to be a holy person as opposed to a sinner. 
The one is a suppression of the self that doesn't allow an evolution into healthy desire and an overcoming of dysfunction. The other one basically goes, it doesn't matter if you fall off the wagon, own the stuff and grow through it. The end result is the same in both. The one is actually just healthier than the other one. Um, so, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm landing at that. But then when we arrive at the relationship to God as well, what we often end up with is, uh, but I don't need God to speak because that's a, that's a need and a want. I must release that need. Um, and again, there I'm minimizing my needs. That's like saying I'm arriving in an intimate relationship and I don't need that hug to affirm me. Because I've got such security in myself, I don't actually need intimacy from my partner. And I think that's where it is. And and there possibly isn't a direct connection in this conversation to arrive at that as a conclusion. But mm. <laughs> but I feel like that as a statement is, is, is really important. Is that is that because our spiritualities are spiritualities of mystery, we're not arriving at a spirituality of interrelational engagement with someone who also has relational needs of us. And that's someone being the divine someone who has a need for a reciprocal relation for us and is a one for, for that. And, and, and who basically mm. put us here to discover that and enter into that. And it's the same then with the silence. So, so I would say the mystery and the silence are separate. Yes. Distinct things. But there's a similarity there then in terms of if I arrive at the silence in the same way that I arrive at mystery, there is no need for a reciprocal relationship here. It's not about that. Verbal or nonverbal reciprocity. It's not about reciprocity at all. It's about as long as I center down within myself and I come to a space of calm and peace. Um, and I think I, I often I often steer towards the control element of this, but that may also be a bit unfair at some point. It's not necessarily an evil intent of then I control the whole thing and then I'm safe. So much as it can just be a I don't know. And I would have to think about that perhaps a little bit more. Whatever reason it may be to just settle at, it's just not about hearing another voice, but only my own and the wisdom of myself coming echoing back to me from my own voice as it sort of echoes around the inside of my mind, inside of my skull. I think it's possibly at this point that it's, it's, possibly good to go into the point on the ever-presentness of God and the sense of we're never outside of the presence of God versus you know, God draws near in person and withdraws. So we do experience the absence of God and we perhaps even experience the abandonment of God. Mm. Because I think, yeah, what happens in spirituality as well is, 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 is the notion that you arrive at the sense of inner security and part of that is the sense that, well, God is present everywhere, everywhere in everything and to everyone. So really what's missing is whether we dial into and are aware of that um, ever-presentness of God or not. Um, does, that, does that make sense as a transition or a point or an idea to you? I think so. And I think it would be helpful, and I'll sort of bring that in as we go, to, to connect that with some of the pictures I have in my head around what this relational connectedness around this this understood relational connectedness around silence which is more intra in conjunction with with what you're saying there 
that's very vague, but hopefully it'll make more sense as you carry on. I'll, I'll, I'll insert that as I feel like it seems to make sense. We've got two things that are very important to bear in mind because I don't think that we have discussion about this and I don't think we have, we don't let people actually embrace this if they, that's what they're going through because we want to shortcut that back to the security that God is everywhere. And so we forget that to be led into the spirits, uh, to be led into the desert by the spirit for Jesus is to be led into the dry place where he's being tempted, where God is not as relationally present to him. It's not the same as 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 he's on the mountain and, you know, or, or, or the, you know, the, the voice that speaks from heaven and his baptism or anything like that, right? <laughs> it's a very different kind of space to be in because because God's not around. You're tired, you're alone, you're hungry. Mm. There's a very clear abandonment by God in that situation of Jesus. It doesn't mean that God isn't ever present, as in God's capable of being present equally anywhere, anywhere and anywhere to anyone and everyone in and through history. But we're not all having an equal experience of the relational presence of God. And and here the the earlier images that you had, and I, I think back to the, you know, your your kids are in need and they want a meal, but they're upstairs doing something, so you're preparing a meal for them. You're present to what you're doing. They're, they're not present there. Mm. Then they come to get the meal and they come to sit at the table and eat and you go away. So you've been present to them. You're still present to them in the sense that you're around, but you're not relationally present to them. I think in some ways God as creator and sustainer is present within creation that way, but not relationally present in the same way. And I think when it comes to the silence and the absence of God, there's two very important um, abandonments that we need to process and we need to lend scope to and we need to embrace when they're there. And the one is the sense that God is not present to me. God has abandoned me. God has left me alone. There's various reasons why might God why God might do that. But that experience is very real for people and that experience differs to the for, for someone who's experienced God's presence compared to someone who hasn't experienced it and only knows God's silence and absence. Right? So there's there's something there. Um, on the other hand, there's the abandonment of God. And that is when we arrive at a place and our abandonment of God follows on later than God's abandonment, our abandonment by God. And, and it's a very important thing to get to as well because you get to the end point where you remember how you worshipped and you sang and you felt like you'd always be there and you'd always love God and you'd never turn from God. There's a point that you get to where even your love is empty and tired. And you run out of words and you arrive at a very different kind of silence there. And so so I feel like this notion of the silence and absence of God needs to be qualified because it, it's different in the in the box of the believer relating to mystery who doesn't experience God to the person who experiences God and experiences the, the trough in relation to God to person down the line where they go through the abandonment by God and the and their abandonment of God. And, and in each of those, there's also silence and absence. And they're, they're, each of those categories is very rich, but they're not the same thing. And yet there's a stark divide between the believer and the mystic and the mystic-to-be and the three kinds of silence and absence that happen on that side. I don't know, I've possibly thrown out too much there. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a good start. You have <laughs> maybe not too much, but you've thrown out a lot. And so it'll be good to just kind of pass through that piece by piece. Um, and so one of the things that I wondered in terms of practicalities for us to just put, like to hang some of the stuff on, was to perhaps just put out quickly a practical picture that differs somewhat from, you know, what I was talking about, about a parent and child and the making of the sandwich thing, and perhaps advance the practical picture to one of, you know, because, so, oh, 400 thoughts competing with one tongue. <laughs> um, we're talking a bit about spirituality and this kind of this idea of almost peak, right? And so I've been thinking through, so, so what, what, do we, what do we put on the table from a practical um, an example perspective of kind of peak relationship? And the picture that comes to me is like a, an old couple who've made it 50 years in relationship with each other. You know, they've really put in the hard yards, they've, they've gone the distance and, and they've made it 50 years. And at a very sort of, you know, rose tinted glasses, sort of distant look at it, you can look at somebody who's been married for 50 years and just go, oh, wow, like they must have written the book. But when you drill into those pictures, sometimes it's wonderful and sometimes it's far from what you think it looks like. And so there's a number of nuances to the practicality there. But the default setting would be to talk perhaps from here out at lover to lover level, which is kind of where we were starting to aim last week, perhaps, rather than parent to child. Because I think, you know, there's an age thing there that sometimes throws me a little bit. Whereas if I think about relating to God from a lover to lover, it's not so much that I'm looking for the language of peer to peer, so much as there's a very different kind of intimacy and interaction kind of going on there. And so if I think in that context, then you have two people who've lived in the same house, let's say for 50 years. And the one can walk through a room and have a sense of the other's presence when they're not around. They're not physically present, right? Because they see, they see the chair that they've you know, sat side by side in for many years together. They see pictures of their, their holidays together. There's, there's an atmosphere in this home that they've both inhabited that reminds them of presence, but isn't actual in the moment presence. That presence is only there, you know, when they are sitting on the same couch together or out to dinner together or having lunch together or whatever it might be. But even there, there is, there's a quality expression to that presence as well. And so just sitting next to somebody you can be physically present to them, but you can still be absent in a number of different ways. And so we're talking about the peak of relational presence, which would be in a human to human, I would say, okay, well, you know, in our digital world, it doesn't even have to be physical anymore. But there's 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 a proximity on a couple of different levels. So, you know, we're connected by a phone call at this point in time, covering 11,000 kilometers. But there's a proximity of our intellectual connection, our emotional connection, I would even say on some level, which would require some qualifying our spiritual connection. And, you know, if we had the screens on, we'd be looking at each other's faces. And so that would have to do for physical. But there's a number of different threads that combine together to talk about actual presence, as opposed to, I can be on a call with you and be completely absent in many ways. 
and perhaps that's just a helpful starting point to start unpacking some of what you're putting out there and just hang some of it on those, you know, those sort of practical pictures, if that helps. Um, because then we can come back and talk to specifically those two things that you're putting about, you know, the absence, the absence by God and the absence from God and some of the other, some of the other things, because that, yeah, that, it's really vital to be able to, to tease that out. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm suspecting that the, the, the language of the abandonment by God and the abandonment of God is, is possibly a step too far for, for tonight. I feel like it's, it's important to, yeah, yeah I just, I just want to acknowledge that, but, but really when it comes to, to relational, to God's ever presentness and relational presence, I think that there's a, there's a vital difference between the two, because I feel like people are always going, yeah, but you arrive at God's silence and God's absence, but God's never actually absent from you, Steve. Mm. You know, so, how, you know, so, so that's the idea is uncomfortable to me. So God's never absent from you. As opposed to, well, then why just why does it sound like when I'm trying to pray that no one's picking up the line? <laughs> mm, mm. Then, then the response is usually, well, it's not that no one's picking up the line because God is always hearing. So God is always hearing you, Steve. <laughs> mm. But that's not actually what you're experiencing. Yeah. When you're experiencing God being silent, there's a difference between the comfort of a mature silence, as you say, and the discomfort of a disconnect and the silence yeah. in the disconnect and being silent in that disconnect. Yeah. And I don't think it's fair. I think that we are idealizing God to a, de to a degree that we are not given within scripture and that we are not given within the stories of people who know God. We're idealizing God to such a degree that God is always present and listening as opposed to actually sometimes the sense that relationally speaking god is actually not present god is not getting involved god is not doing anything god is not listening god is not responding and mm. and that ends up being difficult terrain to solve um am i am i am i connecting or disconnecting here to what you said I no absolutely connecting but but it's really really tough right because <laughs> partly i think it's what what you say is so true those those foundational sort of positions are so entrenched. Mm. But immediately what I think of when you describe God like that is I don't think of a, of a lover to lover relationship. I think of an employer butler relationship. Wow. Okay. <laughs> a, a really well-trained staff member, an employee. Let me take another stab at that. Somebody whose position in a household or in a business or whatever else it is, to be continually customer-facing, attentive at every moment to a need, picking up a need before it's even voiced, mm. that's, that's service staff. Those are butlers. Those are like really high-priced stewards and stewardesses. Those like, I've been watching this... I don't know, I find it fascinating series called Below Deck, which is all these huge luxury cruise yachts that people spend like 200,000 US to go away for three nights on these ridiculous liners. And it's like seven star service and you get whatever you want. But 
what's so fascinating is watching the crew interact with these people. And it's quite heavily staged, I think, and somewhat scripted, et cetera, et cetera. But it portrays the kind of the life of what's going on there really well. And the staff who work these yachts, they have no life, no personality. They have nothing. And what I mean by that is in the eyes of the people paying their salaries. Yeah. So if you come onto that yacht and you behave like an absolute idiot, the staff are paid to be attentive to your every whim, to not contradict you, to not tell you you're an idiot, to not tell you when you're going too far. Mm. They're there just to be attentive to all your needs. And they are asked to suppress all their needs, sleep, <laughs> basic human interactions. There's, I mean, there's some some incredibly embarrassing lack of dignity moments where you just think, how can a human being speak to another human being like that or treat them or expect that or whatever it is. And you go, okay, that's not a peer to peer relationship. And then you see, you know, you see all of the break out and the breakdown because of that, where human beings are interacting with each other and the one is being paid to suppress, you know, what it means to be human. It's so fascinating. And so when you talk about, about that God as being, you know, always on the line, always there, always listening, always ready, et cetera. It just, it sounds like that's the picture I get is the service staff orientation, but that's not a lover to lover orientation. It's more equal. It's more nuanced. It flows a lot more. And I think it's also worth making a distinction between a relationship and relating to people. Yes. So the old people who are in a relationship, when one of them walks through a room in the house and the other one is not there to relate to, they still have relationship. There's still an influence in the same way. Anyone who's in a relationship with someone else will know that, you know, he, he's out to a party somewhere and he's talking to another girl. He should be feeling the influence of his absent partner there in terms of like, there are ways in which we relate to each other that you don't share with others. That's part of the exclusivity, I think, of, you know, sort of one-to-one -one sort of monogamous relationships. And so there's an influence from the relationship. But that's not a present, the two people with each other having a one-on-one -on -one relating to each other relational experience. And so some of the things that you describe, and I think back earlier, for example, the character formation, that can be a part of a relationship with God, absolutely. Because I know through interaction with God and through formation, et cetera, et cetera, how to behave in certain ways. In the same way that I knew growing up what my father expected of me when I wasn't around, when he wasn't around. But there's a big difference to claiming influence of relationship in absence is the same as the actual presence of the other and a one-to-one -one relating to each other moment. And I think that's also part of the nuance that, that is missed and perhaps why we don't know how to talk about absence because we talk about relationship as if it's mm. a continual relating to, but it's just not true. So perhaps this is a helpful image, like, and this is what I'm still developing. So it's a, it's a, it's not well thought through yet. Spoiler we alert, all <laughs> listeners, these are real-time conversations. <laughs> totally. Carry on. So when you've got a spirituality of mystery, it ends up being like having an event where a person 
is the person of honor that is expected to be there. So, so say there's, there's, there's 50 mm. people that get together and the, there's a person of honor that's, that's invited, that's supposed to be there, but that chair remains empty. So everyone talks about and shares stories about that person of honor and they go, we've had a mm. wonderful time with them. We've met with them. They might've been silent. They might've been absent, but they were really with us in spirits. We really mm. remembered mm. them. They really influenced us. In fact, our conversations were about them. So we were spiritual because we were God oriented. You know, we were yeah. that, that. So that's the one image as a, as a spirituality mystery, but a spirituality of relationship is different because you could have those 50 mm. people get together and the person of honor is there. Perhaps I didn't get to speak to them that evening, or we just greeted mm. each other in passing and they had an in-depth conversation with someone else, but I could, wit I could be a witness to that. I can recognize that I didn't have a relational connect with them like I would have wanted to have, or perhaps that they would have wanted to have. But in the busyness of that particular event and within those dynamics, I could at least recognize that they had arrived and that they were going about interacting with people in that, in that area. And so when we're talking the language of intimacy with God, we're not saying in every gathering, if, you know, assuming one gets to the gathering thing, we're not saying that in every gathering, every single person is going to have equal face time and quality and consistency of connection in that event. What we are saying is that God is the person of honor who arrives, is going to be present and active moving amongst the group, and we can be witness to God moving and doing things with people. In that, mm. it's not to go, God is not available to me. It's just God is going about doing other things. I can join in with them. So we've got those as, as, as the two different boxes when talking about a spirituality of mystery and a spirituality of relationship. And I think, I think that's quite key. But then mm. the other thing that we're doing is because we're reducing it to the one-to-one -one box, we're not starting off with the collective gathering and going, we need to be successful at the collective gathering. And if we successful at the collective gathering, whether that seat is filled or that seat is not filled, we are still being successful. Why? Because we are meeting about God. Hmm. When we start with a one-to-one -one, and you know what a quality one-to-one -one interaction with God is, and when I know what a quality one-to-one -one interaction is, and when I gather with a, when we gather with 48 other people that know what that is, we can all see when and whether God has drawn near and be a witness to what God is saying and doing as God moves amongst and interacts in the group as God pleases and as the event flows and all that kind of thing. That's a mm. very different kind of box to the box of that seat is never filled. I don't have an idea of a one-to-one -one because I have an idea of relating to an empty seat. And I think, I think for me, perhaps in this context, that's the closest I can get to that idea of, 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 defining the two different ones because i feel like the the spirituality of the of the believer is the spirituality of mystery which is the spirituality of the empty seat at the gathering the spirituality mm. of the mystic doesn't even start with the gathering it starts with the one-to-one -one and the seeing of god and the hearing of god and the presence of god and the touch of god and then when it moves into the community it's able to recognize whether God has arrived or not. But in recognizing when God arrives and is present and active, there's the ability to recognize and see what God is doing and be a part of it and be a witness to it or even participate and join in on that. But there's equally the ability to recognize when God recedes and God leaves. And I feel mm. like one of the problems 
with the fact that we start with this language of mystery is God starts arriving. We end up with a breakaway movement from another movement and we've got this thing, but we're not willing to recognize when God withdraws. So then we draw on the language of institutions and what has come before to replace a, a nascent spirituality of relationship that has never been developed into something, again with the spirituality of mystery, as though mystery is relationship. That's what I feel like we're, we're, we're doing. And in that sense, I feel like that's our ties to you know, the last two sessions in particular. With that, that spirituality first of the relational presence of God, and then we trade it out for the institution, the church, and the and mystagogy, the absence of it, you know, mystery, and and then to the interrelational. It's difficult because it 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 stretches that it stretches the picture of of one to one lover to lover language. Yeah, which is where the as soon as you move from one to one into group, um, you know, sort of talking about group, sort of collective experience. It's very hard to to continue to use that language of one to one lover to lover experience. I'm actually wondering if this is a conversation we can resolve tonight. <laughs> I don't think it is. I, I can't see it as being. I think it goes a lot deeper than that. But it is interesting to just tease out some of the threads at hand there. In terms of that, I'm wondering whether there's more to say around the the silence and absence is there anything else that you want to add there in terms of understanding silence and absence and what do we mean by that or if that's also a conversation to come to sure i'm gonna i'm gonna borrow your statement from earlier 400 thoughts competing with one tongue <laughs> <laughs> i i think I think silence in this sense is a topic about which much can and must be said. <laughs> mm. And I think that there is, there is more. Yeah. The question, the question I have is, is like, I'm, I'm just wondering how to follow on in terms of the thread and the outline that we had, mm. because I feel like, I feel like we're trying to hold the idea of the ever presentness of God together with the silence when 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 what we're unable to do is recognize whether god is listening and drawing near and wants to speak and do something or not and we're basically trying to go no god is here instead of being able to recognize that god is not here see you see i i have this this gut feel that we have a, an inability to recognize whether we we've got an inability to admit that we might not trust god we might not be comfortable with hearing God's voice. People often don't define themselves in terms of the charismatic gifts in one form or another. So we wouldn't we would go, I'm not a prophetic person. And that becomes the mask for going, I don't have to relate to God one on one. Mm. Or we can go, no, we're a traditional church, we don't do that kind of stuff. And that becomes a mask for we don't relate to God one on one. And I think in those contexts we we end up with, with very different kinds of silences in, in both environments that mm. are actually about the silence of avoidance, the silence of non-engagement, the silence of replacing engagement with God with, 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 a, with an internal engagement of peace and quiet and arriving at being you know, stress-free. Mm. But I'm wondering also now if, uh, if I'm just going in circles and backtracking. <laughs> no, I, look, I, I think you are, but for me, I have a sense that there is more to be said around that area. And that might be a helpful space for us to sort of land 
you know, this evening's conversation because we've 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 put out a number of things and some of them sort of run off in different directions. I, I think for me, what what I, what I find really helpful is is this picture that I have of like an old couple and looking at what it means to to sort of you know the longevity of relationship and the longevity of relational connection as being potentially similar but also quite distinct. And one of the one of the experiences I had that drove this home for me was I had the real it was a real privilege actually of at the end of last year I spent some time with a couple who'd been married for 44 years. And so on the surface to all you know intents and purposes these were two incredibly happily married people. They'd been together for 44 years. I mean, how the hell do you stand each other for that long if you're not happy? And um, the wife actually asked for her and her husband to come and chat with me and basically sat down and, and had never said this to her husband. But between the three of us, you know, as we sat there in the room, she said, I need to tell him, and I don't know how to tell him, that I'm deeply unhappy with our relationship and I don't actually want it anymore or it has to change. And we spent some time together just unpacking years and years of silence between the two of them that was unproductive, disconnected silence that was her just putting up with. And, and it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't like... You know, it's not like I was unpacking years of abuse and trauma and that sort of stuff from a, you know, um, he wasn't a bad man. He wasn't a, a horrendous husband. He wasn't, you know, doing horrible things to her. They just had silence and disconnect. And there were spaces where she, as a woman, had not owned some of who she was and what she liked and what she didn't like, basically, in life, but had made it 44 years of that. And so we were able together, the three of us, to just talk through what this was and to come to a new way of being. But that really gave me a window firsthand, because previously it had really just been theoretical on my part, into a long-term relationship can be missing a number of really important relational markers. And so if I look there at... And this is perhaps just why, you know, I have this picture of an old couple. Where we talk about kind of the pinnacle of spirituality or the pinnacle of relational spirituality. I think, well, people look at that and they go, well, you know, the point of this is just to be married. It's, it's just to make it until one of you dies, <laughs> you know, after 50 or 60 years. Like, that's the point. But then you look at a relationship like that and you go, no, the point is actually that there are two autonomous individuals there that have needs and wants and desires that are fully fledged human beings in their own right. And actually the pinnacle is to aim for the best, deepest, most nourishing relational connection possible. And that takes all sorts of things and, and there's all sorts of elements and risk involved with that. But the silence that that had was, was not it. So they had, they were relating to each other, obviously. They'd raised three kids together. The, you know, there's, there'd been work days and all sorts of other things, but there were spaces where there was a disconnect that wasn't acknowledged. There were places where they just weren't connected, that it took a while for them to be able to actually own and actually, you know, for us to work through. And 
So as I think about kind of relational spirituality with God, I think this is where for me it's so important to distinguish relationship because I think you know, even there we can say lots of things. Relationship can be the intra, it can be the relating to the idea. Um, you know, as, as, as this old couple showed me that in some ways we're just relating to the idea of each other. And we had to get some of that out of the way before the two people could actually even talk to, to you know, each other as, as who they were. Um, and, and, and so you can have some form of relationship with God or with your idea of God or your system or your Bible or, or whatever it is that, that gets in the way of or subdues or suppresses or completely obliterates the actual potential to have relationship with God. And, and that's where I picture some of the, you know, you can walk around a house and it can remind you of your partner of 50 years. You can even sit across your partner of 50 years at dinner and there can be some forms of interaction. Mm. But the real depth of relational interaction takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of self-disclosure and a lot of, there's argument, there's, there's all sorts of things, but, but a lot of that for me is characterized by, by the real agency of showing up of the individual and both sides. You know, you, you were speaking about that earlier. It's not just about the one side showing, it's not just about God showing up and me not. It's not just about me showing up and God not. I can sit at that table with God after 50 years and we can talk a bit about the weather. We can, I mean, I, I always find this fascinating. Like my wife and I have been through this and, and you know, I've counseled couples as well who've been through this where you, know, you say to them, can you go to dinner and can you have a date night out together and not talk about your children? Is that possible? Can you do that? And the amount of couples that go, no, like our relationship has just become who we are to each other, our parents. We, we co-parent together and we talk about our love for each other and our connection and our mutual meetings of needs, et cetera, et cetera. But so much of what our actual relating to each other experiences are is just being parents together. And that's not lover to lover conversation that or connection. And so, you know, being able to go and sit at a meal, I'm, you know, I'm oscillating all over the show, but hopefully you can follow me and the listeners are, are sort of sticking with me. But if I go and sit at a meal with God and I just have parenting language between God and I, then that's potentially, you know, we, we're missing something there. If I sit at a meal with God and I'm, God, it doesn't matter what about me. You just tell me about you. What do you want? What should I do tomorrow? What should I do today? Order every day of my life. You know, there's a bunch of things going on there. God is either parenting me and I'm the child, or I'm aiming for a lover to lover relationship, but I'm, I'm, you know, living this very passive one where my needs don't matter and God's does, or it's the reverse. My needs matter, God, you shut up and I'll speak at you. And, and we can create all these different atmospheres, but I think that's what we're trying to put our finger on you and I is that is that the real understanding of, of perhaps I should qualify this then. So the real understanding of, of two people showing up to each other, or for me to have a showing up a presence relationship with God and I is for the actual person to step forward. 
And so if I sit with God across the table and I monopolize the conversation, I'm in some way trying to suggest that God is not allowed to show up. And that's a deficient relationship. Vice versa, if I'm refusing to show up, that's a deficient relationship. If we're only co-parenting together, and, I, and that conversation I've had with people who, who are in you know, ministry and in churches, that seems to be a lot of the conversation with God. It's just how do we co-parent these idiots or these or these or these people, or you know, sometimes they're more generous who come to our churches. <laughs> how do we keep this little household going week after week? And I've got to do a sermon and I've got to visit people and I've got to this and the finances and whatever. It's all co-parenting language. And so that's just a that's just a part of each individual relating to each other. And so there's an absence there as well, even though. You live in the same house. You're kind of greeting each other as you make coffee or breakfast or whatever. There can be a, there can be a, you know, this for me is, it, it's quite murky, but it's the best way I can understand the kind of the, the constant God's presence is always there, create a sustainer picture. I can pass God in the hall. I can say, oh, you know, make sure you pick up toilet paper today. Okay, great. And that's more of a create a sustainer picture, this, this omnipresent god as opposed to a you and i are not connecting we need to sit down over a meal and talk or we need to have a fight or we need to go for a long walk or we need to talk about the things that really matter to each of us and really 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 take that somewhere um so I, I don't yeah it still feels quite murky for me i don't know if that's helpful but no that's i i find that's that that's very helpful i think i think one of the things that i that i notice quite regularly when speaking to people is mm. that is that people feel like that dissatisfied person in in the relationship mm. there's there so many people that i speak to that 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 open up when it comes to their spirituality around deep disappointments with with god the the inability for there to be consistency in experience with God, the inability mm. for there to be consistency and quality or or regularity in hearing God's voice, the um, inconsistency in response to crises and trauma in life or stress or anything like that. Mm. It, it's like in many ways people come back to I'm going through a crisis. God has induced this crisis because God wants to teach me something. Again, their default to the mystery box to replace the voice of God and replace the activity of God. Mm. You know, so there's, there's, there's layers there that I feel are, are, are really important that in many ways, the longer we stay in a relationship, the more the relational disconnects are highlighted. The longer mm. we're in a, in a relationship of faith to the mystery box of God, the more relational disconnects we're going to have and i think the more dissatisfied we're going to be in the long in the long run the introduction to the presence of god is an introduction to the passionate god who pursues us <laughs> to connect with mm. us the more i play into an ambivalence of that and the more i reject that the more i'm going to land in a particular direction but the more that I'm drawn to God through that, and the more I pursue God through that, the more I interact with God in that fulfilling way, I'm going to land up with a very different kind of spirituality. But I think for most of us, and for many people that I speak to, they, they can think back to that moment where they experienced God, and they were ignited in passion for God, but then they lost it. 
and then they've been told that a mature spirituality doesn't rely on that passion, doesn't rely on that passionate connection, that that passion fades in time and you don't end up with it. And I think if we applied that thinking to relationships, like many people do, you end up with people after 44 years walking into your office going, I think I'm done with this. And the other partner is God going, I've been here all along. <laughs> you know, and in that sense, yes, we're talking being here all along, but we're not necessarily talking relational presence all along. You know, and we're not talking about reciprocal relational presence. You can still have God pursuing and the other person, the other person's never faced the fact that they go, you know, like this, I've been in relationships where um, I was always accused of, like, I remember being accused, you're not spontaneous in trying to tell us to go out. But I do think spontaneously going, hey, should we go for a movie or should we go for a meal? Should we go this? And I'm constantly told no. <laughs> so then there's an interplay of going, hang on, at some point I had to own the fact that I am spontaneous. I'm just shut down. But I'd internalized that in a relationship and I stopped putting spontaneous things on the table. But I was mm. always held as though I'd never been spontaneous and I never put those on the table. And that wasn't true. And so mm. it's very important that, 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 we, that we process things relationally. And I think that part of the journey of spiritual accompaniment is processing the relational disconnects that we have with God and coming to understand where that, that is the case. And yet I think that that is still different to the recognition that mm. because God is ever-present and omnipresent in that sense, that's not the same as God being relationally present. And I think that's something that yes. comes out a little bit more. And I just don't think I have capacity to do it now. And that's cool. But that's really vital what you say, because, because if I was to sit with two human beings and the one is to go, I'm wanting to be relationally present to this person and it's not happening for me. And the other is saying, yes, but I'm always there. Okay. In the human to God thing of what you're talking about there and what I'm hearing you saying, it's... Um, just give me a second. I had it exactly there. It, you cannot, if, if in the spiritual accompaniment that you're talking about, if you're going to sit with someone and help them process their disconnect from God or feelings of silence or absence, etc., it's to not allow, this is perhaps strong language, but the cop-out or the hide behind, but God is always there. Because if I'm going to sit with two people, I'm not going to allow the second person to speak with that voice of, but I'm always there because there's a disconnect. And so if, the, if person A says, yeah, but I'm really wanting to connect and I don't feel it's working and person B says, but I'm always there. That's not the end of the conversation because the elephant in the room is the statement of disconnect. And we have to take that seriously without just sort of wallpapering over it with, yeah, but they say they're always there. And I think people use that, oh, but God is always there. So I can't feel disconnected. I'm not allowed to have that sense. I think you're 100% you're spot on there. And in fact, what we often have is people going, I feel I'm disconnected. I don't feel that there's a relational disconnect. People that are invested in the faith and the institution as the leaders in that are often the people that defend and counter and go, no, 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 God, God is, God is always there. It's you, you must mm. be missing it somehow. And that becomes quite a dysfunctional 
dynamic to be in because mm. because someone going hang on i don't feel like i'm connecting with you is putting forward something very vital and something very vulnerable yeah i don't want to be the person that shuts someone down in that position yeah i did think this was going to be an easier topic to have oddly enough because <laughs> i thought about it <laughs> And I'm again just realizing how naive I am, perhaps, when it comes to this. <laughs> well, let's balance that naivety with, uh, I think, a sense of excitement that there is so much to talk about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I'm, I'm always blown away at, at the amount of levels one has to take into account, the amount of nuance that one has to take into account when talking about this. Because even there, you know, where, where we land in terms of wanting to take seriously someone saying, I'm feeling disconnected, it's an incredibly complex statement because you can do the entire process and discover that the person who feels disconnected is somehow disconnected through behavior that is self-disqualifying. You can find out that the disconnection is because the other person is completely undercutting them. Um, there can be a third party involved. There's, there's so much complexity and nuance to it. But it starts with taking those statements incredibly seriously, as I believe any healthy relationship does take. And it's something I've stood by for a long, long time. Relationships have to talk about feelings in relation to each other and, and not facts as primary statements. Because you have to be able to come and say, I feel disconnected from you. And somebody can't counter that with a fact and go, but we live in the same house, so get over it, because <laughs> that's just relational death, you know. And you have to be able to take that seriously and go, okay, well, let's let's take seriously the fact that you feel disconnected, and let's dive into your experience and tell me about it, and let and I'll take it seriously as believing you, as being the expert in yourself, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then work through all those levels of process and then the other person is allowed to speak and you bring that onto the table and you crunch and you process and you process so yeah i find it incredibly exciting but but it is a good reminder that it's a lot more complex than we always think to start yeah i feel like the the, the way you phrase that there now is is something to pick up with next time because because that's precisely what it is it's we we arguably have an inability to connect with ourselves. We're disconnected from ourselves. We have an inability to disconnect with each other. We're disconnected from others. Same with the cosmos, same with God. If we're unable to recognize this disconnection, if we're unable to allow space for people to voice this, if we're unable to enable people to recognize the relational absence and disconnect from God, without prejudging it but you know if we're not able to do that then we're not able to enable them or ourselves to get to the place where we recognize that god can be relationally absent as well and there can be nothing wrong god is just not relationally present um and if we can't do that then we can't find the right kind of voice for the drawing near and the withdrawing of god so I, I, I very much suspect that this, this starting off and pushing further into silence and absence and um, having a follow-on conversation, at least, 
mm-hmm. is tremendously important. Absolutely. Well, that's really exciting. Well, thanks, man. I've really enjoyed this. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I must admit, I'm I'm quite blown away by how broad this category has opened up. I, <laughs> I felt like I'd, I'd had the summary, like home run win. Yeah, it's just this. And then just going, no, actually, it's just so much more. <laughs> and just being excited about that, going, yay, this, cool. there's a lot more. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. I'm so grateful that you were able to just kind of set it up for us like this. It's, uh, it's made it so easy to jump into it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.